Good morning, good evening, uh, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Maybe Next Year, the podcast that now exists in a post-Black Panther world. I am, sadly, Frank, Wakanda forever. I'm Scott. I'm Paul. Rest in okay, peace. Well, rest in power, Chadwick. Yeah. Well I, well, I have questions about what rest in... Never mind. I don't want to do that here. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope that... Um, He's in a better place, and he was a remarkable person, and he has nothing to do with Bill's football. But, um, you know, the the COVID's got us all down, and, man, I didn't need that kick in the nuts either. So, um, I'm, yeah. And it's much worse for him and his family, obviously. I'm just sitting here like a guy who liked him. So, uh, But I don't want to bring you down. I just I couldn't get away without mentioning it. Um, There's a football season to do that, so we don't yeah, need Yeah, right? Like. Yeah, that'll 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 bring you down, right? Um, flashback to two thousand whatever, other than the last three years. Um, here's years. something. Here is something new. Here is something that hasn't happened in the tenure of this podcast, and you have to go back a long ways. There was a head coach extended, and it was announced that he was extended. And they didn't feel ashamed about it when they extended <laughs> it because uh, Sean McDermott, um, not Scott McDermott, uh, he's going to go ahead. He's going to be here. He's got a six year extension through 2025 uh, for an undisclosed amount of money, but I'm sure it's plenty. Uh, the coach has two winning seasons. He has two playoff appearances. He has two playoff losses. Um, but that puts him far and away ahead of most Bills coaches in the last 20 years. Um, lots of interesting thoughts and questions. Um, certainly, uh, there is room for discussion here, and I want to do that. And one of the things that I want to discuss is, um, or at least bring up, and let's go to Scott first, our UK correspondent. Scott, so often head coaches and quarterbacks are tied together, and their jobs are tied together. Um, is that no longer the case if Josh Allen falls apart here? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the the fascinating thing about this, um, and I think it's and I think it's the right move to be perfectly honest, because um, yeah, and, and I'll well, credit to, I think the someone, Bills did a thing and Scott liked it. I, Scott approves. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I am a, I'm a convert. Like, I don't think I can really quibble with pretty much any of McDermott's moves. I mean, there's been a personnel thing here or there, and yeah, there's been some odd game day choices here and there, but in general, he's been on the right track and. The results are the results, and it's tough to to put too much behind him, and or excuse me, to put to put a lot of the team success on something other than him um, at this point. And I'd credit to to I think it was Matt Warren on Buffalo Rumblings who who wrote a piece that basically said, yeah, like Josh Allen now has all the pressure on him because they've taken the pressure off of McDermott. They've said like this is not. Whatever happens this year, it's not McDermott's fault anymore. It's now right. strictly on Josh Allen, which is, um, you know, fair on some level because this is the this is the put up or shut up year for Josh Allen. This is the light which goes on or not, which we've talked about already. And I think that based on how the defense, like, it's always been weird for me that Bills coaches I've found have done the opposite of what they intended to do. Like Rex Ryan came in and Tarod Taylor and the offense were crazy good, but the defense fell apart and 
Dick Duran had a good offensive team, but couldn't get the defense to work. And then, you know, whoever our offensive, you know, coach of, 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 of choice was Chan Gailey or whatever had a great defense, but couldn't get the offense to work. And it's, it's, we finally hired someone who's an expert at something and it's actually working. And Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, obviously as, as a assistant head coach, defensive coordinator plays a role in this have actually made the defense work. And so that's not just them having good players. It's them having good players and knowing how to use them and be build the system around their players. Um, and I think that's something that all, you know, it's, it's, uh, as I've said before in the podcast, not the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmys and the Joes. And it's the it is a little bit of the X's and O's and knowing that that is the truism of the sport. It's that it's what your players are doing and how they're how you're using them and putting them in a position to succeed that McDermott appears to know how to do. And I'm I'm in favor of the move. I mean he's not he's not un un um unassailable and he's not, you know, uh I don't know, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, where he's coached for life, but he is certainly a guy that I'm willing to give another another go round at getting a starting quarterback if it doesn't work out this year, which is, I think, functionally what the Bills front office has voted for. So I'll leave it there. Yeah, difficult to disagree with Scott's Scott's assessment on the McDermott Allen front uh, in particular. That's right. That first year. He got the team to the playoffs with Terod Taylor quarterback, and it's not like a ton of players on those teams went on to bigger and better things. A lot of them are out of the the league now. You know, few are contributors for the Bills, uh, but generally, you know, he he really helped to drive that squad. And I think you look at the success they had last year, a 10 and 16 with Josh Allen at quarterback in his first really full season at quarterback, first uh, 16 start season at quarterback, and it it went very, very well for the, the squad. And I would definitely mm-hmm. entrust McDermott if the, if Josh Allen doesn't work out in this make or break year uh, to, to choose the next guy. So I, you know, I, I fully agree on that. I think t- so many coaches, you know, we brought up, I uh, say we brought up, Scott brought up both uh, Belichick and Tomlin. Remember Belichick got fired in Cleveland and he didn't really have any quarterback there. And they made a, I remember they made the playoffs one year with Belichick. And I couldn't even tell you who their court. It was like past Bernie Kosar, but before Vinny Testaverde. And yet somehow they got to the playoffs in the mid nineties. Brown's history. Yes. We'll have to, we'll have mm-hmm. to, uh, we used to follow a Brown's pod called surviving the season. They would know the answer on this. Uh, and then you look at, Tomlin, the Steelers last year, I think went what nine and seven with a two-headed monster of Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph at quarterback. So you just look at McDermott as maybe being one of those coaches who, you know, gets the benefit of the doubt because as Scott said, he's done what he's he's promised he would do. He brought in an at times dominant defense and always very good defense, save a a rough midseason stretch in 2017 that they quickly recovered from. The They've definitely taken steps on the on the roster building front that he promised they would make. We all and not just us, but everyone was largely making fun of all the culture talk when he came in, because how many times we heard that from every single damn coach who's come in. And, you know, here we are, you know, 2020. He has our all of our universal approval. Uh, He has the approval of most of the 
the Bills fan base and the culture thing wasn't just just talk. It's actually seeing even the players who've left, the Shaq Lawson's and the Jordan Phillips have all talked highly of of Coach McDermott. There's no people doing sniping. Even Shady McCoy, who didn't exactly have a, a nice departure from his head coach with the Eagles, he had nothing but nice words to say about the the team when he was cut. So yeah, all all in all, uh, if he survives this season, knock on wood, he will be the longest tenured Bills head coach since Marv Levy. And that says a lot about how disastrous things have been since that era ended. But really, I think the Bills have the right man to, to head the ship, regardless of whether or not Josh Allen is going to be the right man to head the ship on the field. The Browns had five, one, sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six quarterbacks under Bill Belichick. Would you care to guess as to any of them? I, I know Kosar because he's the one who benched Kosar, and there was a right. big hubbub, like, how can you bench this great guy? And then he, he, no one realized Kosar. He benched him, but he kept coming back to him. 1991, 1992, 1993, Bernie Kosar has starts in all three of those years. Oh, okay. Went to 95. You've definitely heard of at least two more of these quarterbacks. Um, oh, do you want to right. want, want to take a guess, anybody? Or I was, can give you some hints. Uh, was Vinny one of them? Was Testaverde? Vinny Testaverde was one of them. Yep, that's one of them. Uh, another quarterback beat the Bills in a Super Bowl. Oh, let's see. He had one excellent year with the football team, throwing the football everywhere. Uh, oh, was it Mark Rippon? Mark Rippon, 1994, mm-hmm. had three starts. And the remaining two... I don't think you'll get. So I, I would like to just tell you Todd Philcox. Oh, yeah. Right and that would never have left name. Never yeah. And left. Eric, Eric Zire. Oh, Eric Zire. He was a high draft pick. Was he Georgia, Scott? No. That, Eric Zire no. went to Georgia. Ah. Oh. No, no. Well, sorry. High school, high school, Georgia. Where uh, did he go to college? College. Yeah, no. University of Georgia. Bulldogs. There you go. All right. I actually did. Rem- I don't know why I remember that. I think he was a Heisman candidate or something in the early 90s. Well, yeah, I, I think you guys have made excellent points regarding um, the, the the Bills and the uh, and, and Coach McDermott. I think that one of the things that, you know, obviously Bean gets some credit here, too. Um, he, he's also put together this team. But, you know, certainly, you know, they've they've moved away from players that didn't work for them kind of quickly and they've identified players that will work for them um the defense all three years scott says like he came in and he's doing his thing here with leslie frazier and i do like how that they didn't you know certainly during the season they've talked at times about like well how many ever points we score it should be enough you know um but they've never really made they've never really employed that in um, like looking at the totality of the three years, I I don't think that they've been trying to build an offense that is run and stop the run worthy. It's not a run and hide away and, and protect the ball. They're, 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 they went and got the big arm quarterback. They've identified big time receivers. They do seem to be uh, open to the idea and, and Dable sticking around is a big deal um, of moving the ball in a progressive post-1975 way, which um, is just just nice so kudos to mcdermott uh I, I certainly think it's earned i'm excited that you know it not only did it come in the off season but they announced it pretty much straight away um and that's good the other extension Dion dawkins four years 60 million so he'll be tied to mcdermott 
so whatever happens to Josh Allen, it also won't be Deion Dawkins' fault, even if <laughs> it's sacked from the, the right side, <laughs> from the left side constantly, um, which we don't think he will. Another um, nice, you know, find for the Bills on the line. I feel like the one thing the Bills have done in, in years of bad lines is they've always had one or two guys that have been, like, surprisingly good that nobody really expected to be good. Dawkins, to me, is the latest in that group. Um, and so exciting that, you know, he is there. They're confident in him. I'm sure that means Josh Allen has given him a bit of a vote of confidence and, you know, protecting his blind side, of course. Um, and they do seem to be set. They don't seem to be going away from Josh Allen. They seem to be going towards Josh Allen. Um, so even though it's not going to be McDermott's fault, quote unquote, I think that they are prepared to, to ride it out with Josh Allen a bit here, too. I think they really do believe in him. Um, Paul, do you do you take anything else away from the signing of, of, of Dawkins or yeah I, w- that... I won't go into too much detail on it just because I mean we've got such a loaded agenda today yes. I do think he is he had a, a very promising rookie year he had a tough sophomore season which you know they've often tied to personal issues that have never been disclosed and mm-hmm. uh, nor should you have to disclose them and then he had a very generally very good uh, 2019 and I think well he was not what I would call a top 10 left tackle he was definitely probably in the top half of the league if you go by most metrics and he's still young it's is you know he's what 24 ish or so and so i hope this doesn't end up going the way of cordy glenn who they signed and then battled injuries and regression that's the one thing you could see happening to dion but i think this is if you can this is one of those signings that two or three years from now is going to either look genius and you have your left side protected at a salary that's going to because the the upfront money is so strong i think it's under like eight to nine million a year for to have your blind side protected and at worst case scenario the dead money because they put so much money up front is not terrible and they'll just be searching for another left tackle which is of course not ideal but is you know far from far from bad so i like dawkins good promising young player Great job to identify that by the Bills and hopefully secure him through 2024 if he is as good as he's he's shown he can be and can keep on that track. And if he's not, uh, it does not cripple the team in the future. So I'm total thumbs up on this signing for me. Yeah, I think I, I'm, this one's less of like a, a, a cinch or a, a lock for me. I mean, mm-hmm. Hawkins is, is certainly a, a, a good player, um, you know, kind of – I'm trying to think. Has he made a Pro Bowl? I don't think he's actually made no, a Pro that, Bowl. Yeah. Which, which is a little concerning given the bar for the Pro Bowl is, again, like the top 10 at this point, given how many guys <laughs> make it in the league with replacements and, and, and such. Um, it's it's not a break-the-bank price, and obviously there's the leadership aspect where clearly he is someone that the team has looked to to provide leadership, and that is – something that has a value beyond <clears throat> the performance on the field. But, you know, the performance on the field does matter. Um, I think Dion's again, I think he's a good player, but I wonder if he's, is he this, is he the starting left tackle on a Super Bowl team? And it's like, I don't, like, be, like, I could see him being, like, if Mitch Morris is the best offensive lineman on the team, on a Super Bowl team, that I would kind of believe. I guess Dion could be the second best lineman on the team, and that would be good enough. But you'd have to have really pretty solid guys on the rest of the line 
to make that work. And I'm not sure we're quite there yet. And that kind of explains why the line was inconsistent. I think I'd say last year they were functionally a mediocre line last year. That's not to say they're bad. It's strictly in the most literal definition of the word <laughs> mediocre and that they were middling. And that's okay in the definition of it's not bad, but it's um, also an important part of the team. And it's, it's uh, we, it, I, we'll see. I mean, I hope he continues to get better, but I, I think we've kind of seen the best of Deion Dawkins, and it's it's what it is what it is. So the price is the price is okay. The leadership's good. I don't hate the move, but uh, I'm not sure. You know, I I'll admit this. I'm not sure what the better move would have been. So okay, you know, I'll leave it there. It's not it's not the end of the world. I wonder if, and this is not a question for today, but it's a question to point of you could just jot this down and remind us in 2024 um that like when you look back at some of the moves that teams will make this year and even next year whether covid is affecting some things because there was a lengthy discussions amongst the reporters um or questions about like it's not easy to bring somebody in and get them tested and cleared and then have them like work out with the team and so like I wonder if you'll look back at some places and say, yeah, in a, in a healthier year, we might have brought in competition instead of just signing Deion Dawkins. But it's kind of a harder thing to do. That's an open-ended question that might not even directly apply to Deion Dawkins, who, like I think Scott sort of points out, like it's not a bad move. It's just, you know, is it, the, is it a great move? Who knows? Like probably not a great move, but like not awful. I think that that's an interesting question for a few years from now when we look back and one of the other things of course is um when the pandemic you know, is almost over yes when it's all well it depends right <laughs> well i mean we're just going to be getting through the seventh wave by then paul so <laughs> i don't want to my daughter out. my daughter had a great take but it was political this morning and she's not even five and i just was like from the mouths of babes and i was you know i uh i, I did i you know i made sure to to to, to help her you know cut some people certain slack in her assessment of what was happening in the world. But um, we, we we had an interesting take on, on when the bad germ was going to be over and all that. But um, one of the interesting questions going forward, though, the Bills have tied up a lot of money this year and a, a decent amount of money next year. There's some guys going away. Trent Murphy, um, you know, Josh Norman is not signed through next year. Tyler Croft, Ty Nischke, John Feliciano also becomes an up, uh, unrestricted free agent. I'm kind of going through. There's a bunch of one-year guys this year. Um, nobody huge comes off the books next year. I think I think Josh Norman and Trent Murphy are the two biggest contracts coming off the books. 2022, a lot more money frees up. But there are guys that are going to be looking for extensions. You know, Jerry Hughes is up in 2022. Um, I think that we're talking about um, the, the backfield, of course. And I, don't and I think John team. Brown will have John to. Brown, right. Yeah. Um, why am I blinking on our, our, our safeties and corners? Oh, my God. Uh, well, let's see, they, did re-up, they did re-up Poyer, but they'd have to worry about Hyde. They've got to worry about Milano. Hyde. Yeah. Right. So there are guys that, you know, are in line, presumably, to to make more money. That This also doesn't take into account um, who they can take off the book cheaply next year, too. Like, so there are some people in here that, like, might just disappear anyway you know um but is there any anything you want to say about this or or do we want to just kind of 
remind our audience that Tredavious White needs a new contract. <laughs> Um, you know, cause he's going to make $10 million in 2021. That must be like his, like, is that like his fifth year option year? Why is he making $10 million? He's making 3 million this year and 10.2 yep. next year. And then he's an un unrestricted free agent. Okay. So, right. So Tredavious probably the big, and Tremaine Edmonds, um, coming up, uh, in a couple more years. I think those are probably the two big homegrown talents that need contracts. Yeah. If, the, if these guys all work out, like we hope they will. We're actually gonna, you know, find the challenges that real teams face. Of we have all these good players, how do we keep them? And not the like, well, at least we have a ton of cap space because our team's so mediocre. So yeah, it's it's gonna be. And not to jump out, I think it was Scott's turn to go first. But yeah, there are gonna be some difficult cap decisions. As Frank went through next year's numbers, are at about 182 million for next year. The cap could be as low as 175 million. I mean, before they re-sign or anyone or sign new players they'd have to worry about trimming and the only one that is a hugely significant cap savings well one of the only ones would be stefan the two biggest are stefan diggs and john brown and guess what you can't cut both those guys uh, and hopefully you cut neither but that would save you 20 million if you cut both of them uh based on the dead money versus the cap savings so they're gonna have some tough you know, tough choices to make. Are there going to be some trades that they can work out? Are there going to be some people they have to let walk? And if so, are you going to, I think, do you make the difficult decisions on veteran guys like Micah Hyde, who by that point will still probably be productive, but might be on the tail end, uh, and then try and sign the younger guys, the Edmonds and the Trey Whites, who have not, don't have that veteran 10-year experience sort of deal yet. It's going to be a tough, they're going to have some tough decisions to come up if this year works out as well as, as we believe it can. Yeah, I mean. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. I no, thought you were. No, I don't. I don't have anything particularly. <laughs> you were quiet. You didn't jump right in. I thought maybe you were just politely moving on. Um, we we cut Stephen Hauschka, uh, so no house money for him, and uh, we cut Lachlan. Whoever. What was Lachlan's last name? Yeah, we keep wanting no, to call Lachlan Monroe, but he's he's an actor. Uh, yeah, well, and and then there's Lachlan, who's Locky Wiggle, who's one, he's the the purple Wiggle. Um, so I had lots of Wiggle jokes ready if we sired him, and he's Australian, and but he's gone now. So yeah, it, I feel um, like at this point Corey Bohorquez has 55 lives. Like they keep bringing in people, thinking, well, maybe this guy will be better than Bohorquez, and they just can't find anyone. Yeah, he's like. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say he's like Kenny from South Park. Like he can keep keep killing him, but he's he just keeps coming back. Just gonna keep coming back. Yeah. Um, but by the I way, I do. I I am gonna miss Hauschka. It's the right move. He was short on some fifty-two yarders in absolutely mm -hmm. perfect conditions, based on what reporters were saying. His accuracy is great. Let's be real. The Bills aren't a playoff team in twenty seventeen without him. And if remember that Falcons game where he kicks three mm -hmm. from. 50 plus mid 50s in a game that the bills won by i think four uh you know he he was really uh someone who helped put the the team over the top in in that year uh age hits they, they say the legs are the first thing to go after the hair for men and uh i think his legs are probably just getting don't have quite the range anymore thank you thank you steven uh we're gonna miss you but let's hope we're bringing on the bass era and talking about you know tyler bass 15 years from now Scott again is really reflecting. Eight hundred. Yeah, he was due to make eight hundred. Oh, he's on mute. I see. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Hauska, I mean, no, it's it's. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah, he was he was good, uh, but yeah, the it comes uh, time he comes. Was a kicker. Uh, he was <laughs> he was a kicker. It does. It is a little concerning to go into a potentially critical season with a rookie kicker, um, but you know, Hauska doesn't doesn't mean Hauska was going to be better this year. It just means that. It'll be we won't know what we're gonna get. You know, we knew Hauschka wasn't gonna get rattled when things got close, but we didn't really know if he was gonna have the leg to make it to make it work either way. Um, obviously, I'm pretty sure the Pats won. Did the Pats win the Super Bowl in Goskowski's first year? I think they did. So yeah, I, I, now think I gotta look that up. You can you can you can make it work. Um, and I think I you know it seems like he's seems like he's a good kicker. Seems like. Seems like he was he was one of the the, the high high profile draft picks. Um, there's a lot of heat on Tyler Bass there, um, but yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I'm not. They did. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to tell you that they did not win the world uh, the World Series. The they Super definitely Bowl didn't game. win the World Series. Goskowski. Yeah, they, in Stephen Goskowski's first year, they lost 38-34 to the Colts in the conference championship 2006. I think that's the year the Colts go on to beat. Yeah, they beat the Bears. Yeah. They beat the Bears. Is this the year they beat the Bears? Yes. Yep. The yeah, Manning's not first the year Super they Bowl. Lost to the, right. And then they lose to the 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 who's and what's it's later the Saints. Um, wh- one of the nice questions that I got from the 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 um, reporters listening to the things was talking about there was some teams are considering carrying two kickers because of the COVID protocols where you could really find out on game day you don't have a kicker all of a sudden, and so um, we you know is that a thing where that, that the bills want to consider that. Um, but, and, and McDermott was KG on it. Clearly it looks like they're not going to, they probably have a backup kicker. Maybe they'll just go for two points all the time, but we'll find out. Um, do we have, as so we we've got camp, uh, at this point, I want to talk about any general observations you have. I want to talk about, uh, obviously these, I'm going to start with the COVID false positives. Yeah, where the, the, league, the league as a whole sort of had this rash of positives one day, the bills, held everybody out, um, um, and they they did that. Can you go ahead and take this over for a second, Paul? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right back. Sure. sure. So, yeah, and, and I'll turn it over to Scott quickly, but basically they had a, there was a testing, one of their testing firms in New Jersey that they were using gave back a wave of false positives, which included Josh Allen. They were almost positive that because of the quantity of them, this w- they were false, and indeed the next day, all those false positives came back negative. They held out all the false positive players. This does raise the, lo- raise the larger question, though, and Scott, maybe you can answer this hypothetical or come up with one of your own. Like, what happens if they have this wave of false positives come back in test results on a Saturday? Uh, uh, well, then we've got then we've got a wacky schedule scenario. Right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're very, you're very, maybe Tyler Bass, we're going to get to see if he can be a decent running back. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's the risk that every team's going to live with. I think the challenge obviously is like, even in a reduced baseball season where you get 60 games um, or a best of seven playoff series, arguably like, well, maybe, obviously not a best of seven playoff series, because that's literally seven games and you have to win four of them. So, um, but in a 16 game regular season, like, if you lose a game because you got a bunch of false positives, that's that's killer. Especially if it's the wrong week, it's a divisional game, something like that. Um, it's entirely possible that 
you could be looking at that. But that is the the price of doing business right now. I think everyone has to understand that this thing is going to happen. Um, it's there's going to be outbreaks. There's going to be people who get sick. There's going to be teams that's going that's going to happen to. And let's just hope that everyone is okay after those inevitably happen. Never mind what happens to the football team, never mind what happens to the football team when there's false positive. Like ultimately, like this is all still entertainment. Um, it's a business obviously for a lot of people. Um, and I don't want to discount the fact that for them, like those, those are meaningful um, dollars that may be missed if there's games that aren't televised or contracts that aren't picked up or, or hourly workers or whatever that don't get paid because football isn't played. But ultimately, um, you know, people's health does, does come first. So I, I think, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna keep happening, and all the NFL can do is try and you know learn from whatever the mistake was at this particular spot and not do it again. But yeah, it's gonna happen again, I think. Yeah, I I would agree, and I think they've got to figure out. I shouldn't say they've got to figure out, but will they be able to figure out a way to, you know, do may, maybe they don't test Saturday, maybe they test Fridays, maybe they. You know, as you pointed out, it's outbreaks will happen because this isn't a bubble league. It's not like the NHL and NBA playoffs, which are taking place in one to two cities and where no one's allowed outside of a certain area. It's going to be you're going to run more of the risk that we see in baseball right now, where we have, you know, have a number of outbreaks that have caused cancellations. And then if a whole team's going to miss a game, if they if they literally have. What, you got 69 players this year on your practice squad and your right. roster combined. What if uh, 20? What if you get so many false positives or even regular positives that you can't play the game? Do you forfeit? What if both teams have too many positives? Do you both forfeit? Do you? Is the game postponed? Is it canceled outright? Yeah, this is why it's it's been tough to get super into a season that's 14 days away right now uh Oof. when we're not quite sure what the heck is going to happen here yeah i sorry thanks for for taking that over i had yep. to go uh do something else really quickly not what we had talked about earlier just in case you ah, were wondering okay but um the yeah i mean i'm i'm nervous for weeks two and three really week three where like you'll be 10 to 14 days away from the first time two teams had had played against each other i do think the weird thing about the NFL is like they are such an authoritarian organization and there is such a uh, mindset of the of the soldier, if you will. I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm making sort of, you know, I mean, they, they sort of think of themselves that way in, in their language and their speaking. And so following orders and being part of the quote process is a thing that, you know, maybe a lot of teams are kind of are kind of in step and, and, and wanting to play and not wanting to get people sick and, and they're trying not to expose other people. And I think up until this point, the Bills seem like they've done a very good job. All of their language has been supportive of that idea. But the problem is you go play the Jets and you play the Raiders and you play, you know, this year, you know, 10 to 12 other teams. And so it's going to catch up with you at some point. Um, it's not a question of if to me, it's a question of when and how bad. And um, I was certainly glad that they were falses um, in, you know, I just don't ever want to wish uh, illness on anybody. So I was very glad that it, they people turned out healthy. Um, many of the players were also thrilled, not thrilled, but they called it a, a good learning experience, like a fire drill for what might happen in the season. Like, you better be ready to come in and do something because guess what? If Matt, if Josh Allen gets a bad test on, on Sunday, 
uh, morning he might not be able to play. There are some questions about whether you'll be able to like flip that with like a rapid test on Sunday, you know, it, and say like, okay, look, we're getting these negatives over here. And in the wider culture, there's been a lot of false positives um, that are hard to navigate when, when we're all trying to navigate this. So um, I don't know. I, I guess I appreciate the transparency. My biggest, one of my biggest fears with the NFL was like they were going to hide positive tests in order to get players on the field and not cancel games. Um, and the NFL for me has been a league that tends to not be transparent at the times it really needs to be. And so for me, I'm at least I'm excited that the, the, the organization, if not the entire league, uh, as far as we know, has been transparent in this way so far. And um, I don't know, fingers crossed, right? Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, the only thing camp observations I have is I've learned the names and uh, and affiliations of a variety of new reporters. Um, it took me about two weeks of listening to Mookie Hawkins to, for me to understand that WUFO is W-U-F-O, a radio station in, in Buffalo, because I kept thinking he kept saying Buffalo, but he kept saying WUFO, and I've gotten to know their personalities, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear George from the Challenger Community News, and I'm always excited when I hear the smaller papers and, and outlets get things, and uh, I'm always a little annoyed when, like, Yep, I'm a Bills team reporter. Just answer my question. Um, we had a question. I we started to have this discussion with Scott uh, the other week, and Scott, if you want, if you have any thoughts on it about the the idea that like you know there's a North Korea feeling to um, training camp this year because you you can't really see or hear any of it other than in the um, you, even the reporters aren't getting to watch it this year really, um, and so they just sort of have to go in and ask questions. On, on one level, they've certainly made a lot more interviews available to people I think on the other hand you know a lot was made out of Josh Allen torching his own defense and Sam Darnold not being able to do anything against his own defense and scrimmages I don't know um Scott do you have any any thoughts in in that regard you're our, our national security expert yeah I mean it's yeah we, we were talking about this uh when we had our kind of uh, abort pod the other day but it, it is yeah it's it's frustrating. I mean, you can read between the lines a little bit. Obviously, like the other day when it was like Mike Love was was getting into the backfield a lot, and it's like, well, he's definitely a second team defensive lineman, which means that he was lighting up someone on the first team offensive line, probably on the end, which means it's probably Deion Dawkins, but more likely it's going to be, uh, you know, either Ty Inseki or Cody Ford who would have been out there at right. Maybe it was Jordan Matthews. I guess that's possible as well. Um, or who was it? Is that his name? The right yeah, Jordan Matthews was wide receiver. Daryl Williams. Oh, yeah, Daryl Williams. Um, eh, Some yeah, Carolina sorry. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, enough. So, uh, but, but yeah, it is, it is tough to kind of be able to, you know, when the reporters are there and doing their full job, you know, there's a lot more interesting and you can glide a lot more stuff and you can figure out like, oh, it's a big deal if someone goes down because they clearly were the ones who had the lock on the job. But now we're at the point where we're really just kind of like, go team, like, let's see some good plays. And that's that's about the end of it. I mean, it's, it's training camp. As long as we actually get a football season, all of this is kind of, you know, no, I don't really remember what happened in training camp that much this last year. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone would would in general, but it does kind of um, take the edge off of the 
off of the excitement. It makes you less willing to trust what you're seeing on some level. Yeah, I, I kind of miss preseason games in that regard. At least you could get to see people against opponents and in game situations and how they develop. Right now, the Bills even, I mean, they suspended their 14-year tenured media reporter uh, for reporting on pretty innocuous stuff about who was lined up with whom when. So, yeah, there's so much secrecy. It's been tough to have any meaningful observations this camp. And I think that's going to make it when they go to cut down day. I think it's going to make it quite a... We're going to have some surprise names on there like, huh, didn't even realize that was a bubble person right there. But now they're not on the team. So, yeah, it's been uh, I've been trying to keep up with the reporters and what they write. Frank is already a step ahead of me and that he mentioned he knows who's report what beat reporters are covering whom and what teams. Um, you know, I have a feeling when the cuts happen, which I think is the end of this week. Right. It's normally about uh, eight days before the regular season. So Saturday, six days from today, uh, we're going to be some names on there like, huh. Didn't realize that uh, John Brown was on the cusp, which, of course, I'm, let's hope he's not. The That sort of plays into the only listener question we have, because we, we had intended to do this podcast last week. And um, Paul, of course, had some incredible yeah. – um, Paul was saving whales and uh, small children <laughs> last week. And yeah, he let's just go was with too that. busy you know, working on a vaccine to really podcast with us. So we let it, we let it slide. But Brian had Brian's question in common is this. Um, I haven't really allowed myself to believe that there really will be a full, meaningful season. So despite this being the most promising team in decades, not exactly a high bar to achieve, of course, I'm probably going to be viewed as a heretic by the Bills Mafia at large until both scenarios become substantial. I'd be interested to see how optimistic about both that you, the listeners, and other fans you know are really are. So... First of all, other fans and listeners, if you're listening, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bbillsmny. Go ahead, reply to Brian's comment, just right on our wall, do that, have a conversation. Um, but as for us, I think this is, a, I, this is, I think this is the question, right? I was texting with Paul separately about some stuff, and we got chatting about the season um, a little, and as I alluded to earlier, like I'm worried that by week three, you're going to have two or three big breakouts. And it's not like baseball where, like, you can cancel a game or schedule a doubleheader and, like, still largely have a season um, because you play so many games. There's a really few finite number of games, and it wouldn't take too many games being derailed for there to be a substantial shift and a substantial loss um, to the to the season to the point of, like, really delegitimizing it. Um, I am, Brian, to answer Brian's question directly... I am sort of doing my best to not think about this football season. Um, I really sort of, I listen to the interviews and I want to hear what they're saying about what's happening at camp. And as soon as it's over, I try and think about something else. I am not allowing myself to get wrapped up in schedule predictions and hyped up about things. And I am really trying to get to, um, as soon as this podcast over, I'm going to be doing something else, and I'm not going to be thinking about it because I'm scared to get myself involved in the season in that way. Um, and when they play the games, I, I, you know, I'll be excited to watch, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I know at least with baseball, I'm tuned out, and that's in part because the Nationals aren't great right now, and it's also this awkward freaking season, and there's and it's just like. I don't know. I have Normally your baseball them. team's not great uh, 
thirty years in thirty games into the season. Who cares? You got one hundred thirty. Normally, left. right? Yeah, it's like whatever. <laughs> it's like right, but like you know, half the season's over. And to be honest, I just never checked in. I, I I've listened on occasion to kill an hour, and I've tried to enjoy it for that moment. But I haven't thought about the season as a season other than in furtherance of this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul, Paul. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I realized I had to direct traffic. There. No, I'm done. I had to direct traffic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's made it, it challenging. And I have those same concerns. Like we've even seen in, and you, you mentioned Frank, like it's not like baseball, you have the chance to make up games and even baseball is struggling with that right now that you still have some teams that have played about, 10 more games than other teams and we have a month to go in the season. It ends a month from today. So, you know, they've got to make all those up. If you, if a football game gets postponed, that not only has implications for that game, how do you reschedule? When do you reschedule? Can you reschedule it even? And then how do you determine your playoff teams? If some teams have played 13 games and some have played 16 and, you know, it's so difficult to get committed to it because even though right now we haven't had teams with large scale positives, none of the travel has begun yet. None of the, uh, you know, the, the huge groups of people uh, breathing on each other for three hours through face masks mm-hmm. has come to fruition yet. There's practices internally. So this is, I, it'll, I, I'm definitely interested in seeing how I'm going to react while watching the first game. Will I be, fully invested in it will i be kind of withdrawn like i can't believe this is already here um because as brian you know points out like this is the team that's easily the most excited to be out about uh, most the one to be most excited about in decades you know there's there's been there's not been a bills team with expectations really this millennium even last year's team only had expectations for us and the fan base now there are expectations throughout the league that they uh, Josh Allen should develop and they should contend. And it's, it, I don't want to say it's on we, I don't want to say I, I'm checked out about it. Uh, I will say that I am very cautious to let myself get too mentally and emotionally committed to this season based on how things are at now. Scott, give us your thoughts on that and then feel free to jump right into wacky schedule. Okay. Uh, I got the the wacky schedule all queued up. I will say it's odd. I love the way that Paul ended his point. It's hard to get emotionally invested in this season. And it's like if there's one thing that being a Bills fan I should have prepared us for, <laughs> not being emotionally invested in a football season. Because <laughs> there have been probably more games that we all have watched together or watched separately and texted or whatever where it's been like, this game has no meaning. <laughs> Bills have been eliminated from the playoffs. There's no meaningful change in our draft position that will result from this game. Uh, and even if we won this game, it would hurt our draft position. So at best, it's a mixed kind of uh, thing. So I feel like that is very much how we're approaching, like I am approaching this season, is like, this reminds me a lot of like a lot of Bill seasons where – all I can do is enjoy this specific Bills game for three and a half to four hours and look for it, uh, look forward to it a little bit this week in the sense that, hey, I'll have something to do for three and a half to four hours that I don't have, uh, that I don't have every day. I don't get every Sunday. And that's that's uh, I'll have something to talk to you guys about at some point during the week. 
And that's and I'm not looking forward to the week after or really the week after that. I'm just trying to focus on that week. So I think that's going to be my basic strategy. And only when we get towards the end of the season, when we've established things, will I kind of start to think about, you know, the the bigger kind of things of what this means for the team and the playoffs or anything like that, because it's not even clear that we're going to be able to, to execute those things. So, you know, I will do our, you know, our real kind of predictions for how the season's going. Well, sometimes we do them and sometimes we don't. But <laughs> I think uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, it, it's good to have those kind of things. But uh, yeah, at this point, it's strictly for entertainment purposes only, as it always is on some level. So, um yeah, with that, we'll we'll launch into to wacky schedule, uh, the the final foursome of our 16 games of, of wackiness that uh, we do every year. Starting with week 13, I have it down as at Steelers, which probably means it's home versus Steelers. Um, that, uh, that is correct. <laughs> it's always the opposite. It's like Seinfeld. I've, whatever I've written down. Um, so I actually did attempted to do some research on this, but then I didn't write any of it down. Um, of what kind of ball, like if you took the densest metal alive and made a football out of it, or de- densest metal like found in nature, um, like the the football, like the cubic, if it was the size of a normal American football, it would weigh like 200 pounds. And I'm like, could they play with a 200 pound ball? And I'm like, no, they probably couldn't. Like, even though like they're big guys, like they couldn't carry 200 pounds for any extended period of time. And you certainly, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the passing game's out, but even the running game is really not feasible at that point. Like, you'd have to have the defensive lineman carrying the ball, and even then it would be kind of weird. Um, so I kind of settled on, like, let's say the ball is 75 pounds, which is certainly not nothing, but these are professional athletes, big guys, prime of their careers, um, you know, so let's say normal football rules apply, but the ball weighs 75 pounds. <laughs> Go. Uh, I I can start. Note that one Tyler Bass is going to have an awful day. <laughs> Just awful. I really, in fact, I don't even think you kick at any point in the day because it's all you're going to do is have someone's foot broken. Yeah, I'm with Paul on this so far. Yep. Yeah, kick, kick off. off. I don't know what you. I think you probably just push the ball with your foot. And then Instant dive, yeah, penalty. and then dive on it, and the other team will just take possession in that spot because that is the uh, that's the only safe way to make it to week uh, right. to every, your fourteen. Starts in the forty yard line when they after a score. Okay. Yeah, um, but offensively, I mean, what do you you can't even pick up any momentum momentum. Like if you're carrying a seventy five pound ball, like. I mean, this is definitely going to be a case where I, I've got to try and figure out the combined weights of each of these teams and base my assumption on who's the strongest or at least find out the bench presses of, of every team. Of course, absent that information to be able to put that together in, you know, 20 seconds here, uh, it's just going to be kind of a, a guess. So we're not going be, with Ozzie. It's really going to be James Conner and Devin Singletary. And who's going to be better with a 75-pound ball, right? That's probably the key question. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a lineman who has some experience as a fullback, maybe in yeah. your uh, in your cores, I don't know enough about the Steelers or Bills linemen if they have. I mean, you have Dawkins. We know can catch a ball. You've got a couple touchdown pass uh, receptions in his his young career. Ah, uh, this is going to be tight. It's 8:20 p.m. The, t- the I don't think the night play has anything to do with this uh, this year because it's a steady 75 pounds no matter what. 
Uh, home field is totally useless this year anyway, but it's even more useless in this sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going to be the determining factor? I, yeah, I don't know on this one. I'm going to, I'm going to say the Steelers win this game because they are used to dealing with steel. Mm. They, that is, that is their roots. They are founded at the, you know, the whole uh, steel generation foundation. I know I was redundant there. So mm-hmm. I'm simply going to say they have better history to die from on this area. And I say they therefore win this game uh, six to nothing. I think they manage one time to get in the end zone. I think the bills are going to win. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be uh, eight to six. I think it'll be a close game. I think the difference is twofold. I think, first of all, I'm happy that Josh Allen is a mobile quarterback, which gives me one more option of a guy who can probably run with a 75-pound weight Mm -hmm. in his arms, as opposed to Ben, who presumably Ben Roethlisberger, who, you know, definitely coming off an injury year, doesn't need to be doing that. I think the other thing is um, he's got a cannon for an arm, and I don't think he's going to throw the football to try and do completions. I think he's going to be a little dirty, I think he's going to throw the ball at the line and try and just hit, hit a lineman in the leg with the ball or the, you know, I think it could get ugly on an incomplete pass. And I think that like, you know, he might, he'll probably wait till the fourth quarter and then he'll just start throwing darts at people. And it'll be like, you know, you can say what you want, but you get hit with a 75 pound weight once or twice. You don't want to chase the quarterback as much, you know. So it hurts. Slow down the pass rush of T.J. Watt, like Watt, like I think so. Yeah, pulls it his direction directly into his chest. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Tremaine Edmonds' brothers get a pass, but I think T.J. Watt gets just gets lit up, you know. And you're lucky to not get one in the knee and buckle over. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you. Right. By the way, you, you what you would really help a team is if to signs to their practice squad a world record shot putter who can play yes. quarterback that week. And then maybe a receiver who has experience working on like trucks of people tossing like heavy things down to him yeah. to load onto a truck. But I think even 75 bucks, nobody's 75 pounds. Nobody's really tossing it. Yeah. You know, even with these, but yes, you're right. A shot put could get, could get the ball there. I think the problem is also the catching it. Maybe you could get like two guys out there to like try yeah, no, and catch no it. Catch the shot puts. That's the problem. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. The shot uh, football weighs 16 pounds, by the way, for the record. So we're looking at five times that. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, but yes, Paul has the correct answer. It is the Steelers. It is the, the men of steel have oh, a slight God. advantage, especially as apparently as is written a home game. Uh, the fans <laughs> should be going nuts with the with the you know lead ball, and uh, they'll be uh, they'll be they'll be they'll be they'll be rolling. And yes, I'll I'll give the Steelers uh, this one. Uh, the next one, completely opposite. No football required whatsoever. It is simply a Rubik's Cube challenge. Each team is given one Rubik's Cube and must uh, must attempt to solve it as quickly as they can in the allotted 60 minutes of game time. Uh, they get one cube. They can give it to one guy, have him do it all. They can, they can play as a team. They can try and do it together. Uh, everything's in play. But uh, they're the the only thing that must be determined is whoever has the most complete Rubik's cube by the end uh, is the is the winner. 
Uh, and I will start with, 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 with Frank at this point. NFL players who can do the Rubik's Cube. Let's see if there just is anybody. First you of are, all. Frank is trying my strategy here. I have more time. Yeah, right. Google well, Amari Cooper, can, Amari Cooper can do it in less than three minutes, and I got down under three minutes when I was doing it. So I do, but I don't see anybody. Um, Jets rookie solves the Rubik's Cube behind his back. So that's a big one. So I think that this is going to be a quick game. I think it's going to be a, a sub-five-minute game for sure. Um, and I think that because McDermott is such a family-friendly guy, he probably had the Rubik's Cube, you know, uh, as part of his, of his, of his repertoire of games. And so he, he, he knows how to solve it or Bean knows, and, and they're going to teach us some players and some players are going to be like, duh, I already know how to do it. But I can, I can do the, I can still do the top two layers very easily. It's the third layer that I always have to like go back and remind myself how to do um but i had gotten down under two minutes um of course the the world records are like under 10 seconds under five seconds for for these things which is insane um but i think that the bills win uh based on just uh uh, just a you know flip of a coin this is a a flip of a, a coin kind of situation i'll say the bills get it done in four minutes and 22 seconds wow all right so i have cheated on this uh, yes, good. And, and looked around, and I'm glad to confirm uh, Frank's prediction. The Bills do win. Uh, Buffalo Bills Harrison Phillips, and there's online footage of this, can routinely solve a Rubik's Cube in less than two minutes. Nice. So what? I recommend you go to visit at HorribleHarry99 on Twitter. There's a nice couple videos from December of 2018 of him solving one, there's him solving a Rubik's Cube in under two minutes, and then him, in short order, solving multiple Rubik's Cubes over and over. And with that amount of talent, uh, assuming uh, we need to assume he's healthy by this point of the season. I mean, yeah, he no, didn't have no, injury no last pat, year. Right, well, no or right. false positive tests here. Right. You sit, him, right. You sit him for a couple of weeks leading up to this game. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's, he needs to be court. Like, you need to prepare and be like, I know we're short of defensive tackle with Star opting out, but uh, yeah, get Harrison just self isolated leading up to this game because him his health equals a W. So I'm going to say Harrison Phillips is healthy and the Bills win this game in under two minutes. Wow. Okay. No, that is, I think we all learned something tonight. All right. <laughs> Thank That's you, what, Google. Cal, okay. So, uh, but Calvin Anderson of the Broncos also can solve the puzzle. So this really might be like a three minute game. That's fascinating. Okay. All right. Well, I yeah. didn't know that. Um, but yeah. So we are uh, for the game against the Pats. We're going to mm. get a little, a little mythological for a moment. Mm. You'll join me. As we get in the way back, the way back, the made up way back machine, um, the 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 Bills and the Patriots are going to be transported back to uh, ancient Greece. And there in ancient Greece, they find themselves on an island. Unfortunately, the island they found themselves on is the island of the sirens. As you all all the. Island of the Sirens was the Sirens were incredible singers who could drive men insane and cause them to steer their ships into the rocks surrounding the island because of their alluring uh, sounds. 
And so... Then, right, these were uh, the Janet Jacksons of their era, for those of you not familiar with Greek, Greek history. So, anyway. The Janet Jackson, that's what we went with. I mean, how many number one hits? How much allure? You know, I we, that's a, this is a whole other podcast, so I'm not even going to continue. But right. we'll want to yeah, explore mm-hmm. ourselves slightly. I think we'd all have, that's an interesting kind of insight into where we are in our sirens kind of uh, <laughs> uh, ages. But anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so in order to uh, play this football game on the island, one would have to assume that much like uh, Ulysses, who lashed himself to these to his own um, to his own mast, and then had his men fill themselves uh, with wax in their ears? That mm. is how the Bills and the Patriots must play this game. And mm. so Sean McDermott and Bill Belichick are both lashed to their respective benches in this mm. case, and all of the training staff, players, everybody else. Um, must have wax in their ears so as to not be uh, allured and and uh, kind of transported uh, to beyond their senses into the the grasp of the sirens where they'd no longer be playing football so they almost take that precaution in order to play the good thing is though because they've been transported back to ancient greece there is no coronavirus so that's good that's good there's just there's just like a litany of viruses they'd never heard of dangerous diseases that would <laughs> have no life. immunity towards right um yes. <laughs> they have long since lost all that um so it'll be interesting because of course i think the season to this point will be have interesting things with snap counts and and players calling out plays anyway so both teams sure. might be really prepared because they're used to the other team hearing everything so there might be a lot of not deaf options but options for um exactly sign language and other 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 ways to kind of um um, deal with this um that said at the end of the day it's a football game and the new england patriots don't have tom brady so fuck them i'm gonna pick the bills in this one 57 to 6 and they are gonna kill bill belichick at the end unfortunately the the sirens are gonna get a hold of him somehow wow this is this is what happens when ulysses gets back to his house yeah no yeah he's like hey what has been going on? <laughs> oh. All right, Paul. Yeah, I, 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 I pulled out my annual at the end of the day. It's a football game. I can <laughs> only get to do it once a year, but I, I'm doing it for this game. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, I've got to go with the I've got to go with the bills, too. I'm not even entirely sure of my rationale on this one, but there's just something about a group called the Patriots in ancient Greece that isn't sitting well with me. And I think it just this getting rid of the sirens, all that logic alone, I just can't foresee. Uh, I feel like, oh, Buffalo Bills. Well, that sounds like it could be a place and we have bills here that we need to pay. I don't even think they'd be able to grasp what a Patriot is in Greece. And I think I think the Patriots would feel like an identity crisis. And that would be that would be it. Not my most creative answer, but but that's that's all I got. Yeah, no, I think I think Frank had it on this one. I think yeah. it is. I think it is the Bills in a wash. I mean, I think I think this is where the continuity is key, right? Because you got mm-hmm. a lot of guys on the Bills who've been around on the same team for two or three years, and they're all pretty used to working with each other. That informal, non-lingual communication going to be critical. So yes, we we give this one of the Bills a little bit closer game 
Belichick still got some tricks up his thieves, you know, 35, 21, something like that. Um, and then, uh, the final game of the series, and I have his at dolphins is probably home versus dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, uh, a, a fairly simple connotation. Um, mostly because, uh, I mean, this one will be slightly easier for me and Frank. Paul, you'll have to do a little bit of gymnastics, but I know you've got some experience right. with nephews. In this game, both the Bills and the Dolphins, all of the players have been reverted to toddler forms. Mm. They are all three years old. Oh, God. They are all three years old. So you get a solid kind of half of football. Then everyone has a juice box and a little snack. They go down for a nap for 20 minutes or half an hour. And then they get back up. They're roused out of their sleep. And then they're given another ju- – well, yeah, you do the juice box and the snack. You do the – you'd probably feed them again after you wake up. And then they go back out and they finish the game. Yeah. That is, is how this game is played. They're all the real players, just their toddler versions of themselves. Yeah, I think there's a huge factor here, which is let's let's be real, guys. You're, you're going to have some non-nappers here. You're going <laughs> to have some people – uh, yeah. Some toddlers who they're going to be cranky. They're not going to want anything to do with okay. anyone. They're going to ask for their bar bar over and over again and their Nana and everything else they want to uh, consume and you'll give it to them and they'll throw it away and scream at you. Uh, and so, yeah, this is the non nappers could play just an immensely key role here because I think with everyone else on a relatively equal schedule, you're going to just see kind of, it's just to quote Frank, at the end of the day, it's a football game. It's just with toddlers. So I think whoever has the, who is it going to be whoever has the more non-nappers? Well, who can move the ball while everyone else is asleep? Uh, or whoever has fewer non-nappers, maybe because they'll be better behaved, they'll be better disciplined uh, come later in the game. Oh, I, I think it all hinges to me on who takes nap time and who doesn't and i am going to oh it's so tough to know because i don't know the division of toddlers in this instance and i know frank and scott have the right answer so i'm just going to say uh dolphins in this because i've now created a scenario uh whereby these are like uh dolphin obsessed toddlers and therefore uh they they're they're better adaptable to weird situations and therefore they don't take naps and end up uh running the ball down the bills napping throat uh in the third quarter Mm. i i really think that that's a quality position with regards to the naps i think that that is a key thing that i wasn't immediately thinking about naps of course are key to the the brain in the afternoon uh, that's where a lot of growth happens. Three is a great age, Scott. Three, of course, you have some language. You have a, quite a bit of language at three, actually. Uh, you can understand things. You might even know what football is and how to play it a little. Um, I think the penalties will be through the roof on this game. Because <laughs> good luck trying to get everybody to stand still for one second. Um, and I think, ultimately, that what happens here. Um, is it ends in a tie or a double forfeit? Um, I hate to take the coward's way out. Uh, I have not been able to get a three-year-old to concentrate and do anything for that many hours in a row. And I think at some point, 
um, Coach McDermott and whoever the Dolphins coach is at this point. Um, well, by the end of the season, I don't know, right? Like, especially with the Dolphins, right? I think they just put uh, Dora or Paw Patrol on the Jumbotron at the end, and they say, fine, shut up. And just like most parents, just fucking, I need a minute. And go watch a show and shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then the kids say, well, what does fuck mean? And you're like, okay. Um, but, you know, I think that it ends in a in a tie of television um, on the couch and everybody is just sort of cranky and then we shove some dinner in them and they go to bed and the season's over. It's, it's, a, it's a good answer. There is certainly a high probability of the... I, of I, the- I, I will only add that if this game was at the beginning of the season, there might be a better chance to get through it. But this is the end of the season, the end of the day. These kids have already been through a lot. They're they're wiped out. It's time to they're gonna they're gonna want to veg out. Couple long couple weeks. So mm-hmm. here here here's some things that we need to think through. So one is, um, what do uh, what do toddlers need in general? What do three year olds need? What do they always tell you to do? very hard to do because you're a parent and you love them you always want to be there for them they what need are they boundaries boundaries. They need boundaries and structure they need a process, a process? they need a process uh, that, is- that plus reminder who's gonna have to get on an airplane and then go play in this football game yeah yep. they're gonna have to fly on an airplane Imagine getting those 53 toddlers on an airplane and then flying them to Buffalo and then trying to get them down in a hotel when they're all excited. They're in a hotel. Oh, my. <laughs> they're jumping on the bed. They're going down at 10 o'clock at night you got them because they're all in the same room together. They're never going to go down. So they're completely lost. You the found bills- them Guess where you're lost. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> the Bills toddlers, on the other hand, they're sleeping in their own beds. They're in- with their mommies and daddies. Uh, they're with with which nice nice Mr. McDermott, um, who's taking care of them and who's very good at, at providing those those rules. And he's explained to them that it's very important that they try and concentrate for a little while. And then yes, everybody gets all the Paw Patrol they want on Sunday night as long as they do a good job of listening. And so that is that is why the Bills come out on this one. I think the Bills have a lot of advantages. I think it's uh, I think it's Bills, you know, twenty four Dolphins like. Six. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's a run. Great, great analysis, Scott. And I also, when you brought up the McDermott, I'm like, oh, who could be better at patty cake? There is no better clapper out there than Sean McDermott. He is. He is, he is an exceptional clapper. I think yeah. the whole Bills coaching staff, really top to bottom, good clappers, every single one of them. It's all. It's all very important. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, are we doing this day in Bills headlines next? I. I think so. Um, so we may or may not have Frank, but that doesn't matter because Scott's going to get them all and it won't make a difference. No, I got it. I'm here. I'm here. All right. Frank's my, back. My parents, this is just a relatable moment. My parents have been calling me nonstop during this podcast and I finally put you on mute and answered. And my dad's like, we can't find your mom's phone. And I'm like, I don't know what you think I can do from 30 miles away. He's like, well, do you remember what the last thing you talked about mom with was? So like, I was like. So what I've been doing while we've been talking is I've been ringing my mom's phone, hoping that she'll, like, hear it and find it. And <laughs> Which so your dad could up, very well do on his phone. He was doing, but he was also doing other things, and it's a thing. Okay, look, as you all know, when you have parents, you like, 
at some point logic breaks down and you just have to look <laughs> at your parents. It's like it's like kids. You have to look at your state like they're just kids. And on the other end, they're just parents. So my mother finally picked up and was like, Frankie, you'll never guess where I found. And I'm like, I had to hang up on my mother and text her and go, hold on. And I muted you and called her back because I hate hanging up on my mother. I'm a good kid. And I said, I'm in the middle of a podcast. She said, no problem. I'm like, I left it here and I just wanted to let you know. I go, okay, all right, love you, mom. So that's what I've been doing, um, which. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is. Yes, I, I felt like that was a great relatable moment. Um, yeah. Much nicer than the other thing I'm going to have to do, which I've talked about with the guys. Uh, maybe we'll have that in some sort of like, you know, when we have like a wind down pod where we don't want to talk about football. We'll, we'll talk about some of the other crapola that's been going on in our lives in COVID. But I'm here. I'm ready to answer some Bill's questions. All right. Here we go. We'll start uh, going your way back. You pretend it's uh, August 19th because I certainly as hell wasn't going to redo this after uh, doing the last <laughs> So we're going to pretend it's August 19th, and that's the date we're going with here. I want you to know the number of times Scott have, and I have told him, Paul, if you just want to pick headlines from this week, no one's really going to care. Please don't feel honor-bound to, like, find it. And he's like, no, no, no. I ha He loves you guys. So we're all going to give him a pass for this August 19th thing. Okay? And yep. we're going to encourage him to just take it easy on himself sometimes. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. You'd be an excellent psychiatrist. I don't know why you became a lawyer. Um, probably because you're an excellent lawyer. To all pay right. for my psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. That's right. Good point. Um, all right. 2019. Bills release blank with injury settlement. This training camp, blank was one of the team's two main backup cornerbacks, along with Kevin Johnson, who returned an interception for a touchdown. If they're, cornerback and, if they're cornerback and they're injured, it's got to be EJ Gaines. It, you got it. That's all you needed to know, and it is EJ Gaines. All right. Uh, 2018, Bills punter Blank reportedly tears knee ligament. Says he was signed to the Bills practice squad late last season and was battling veteran Colton Schmidt in training camp. Is this working, right? It's it's the other. It's Remember, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's the other Corey. Corey Schmidt. No, Colt, that was Colton Schmidt. Colton it was Corey Bajorquez versus this guy for two straight Richard training. Corey. Richard Corey. No, <clears throat> that's the poem. Um, Carter? Carter. Good job, Scott. Corey Carter. I was going to say Corey Haim next. I was just going to start going and through the things. And then Feldman, and then it was just going to be yeah. It's going to be bad. All right, this one will be – This I'm interested in seeing if you get this one. It could be like pff, no recollection. Or it could be like, oh, yeah, I remember it was this guy. Um. 2015, Ty Powell injury creates opportunity for rookie linebacker Blank. Mm. When asked about Blank, Rex Ryan then offered a challenge. He's a smart player, obviously, from Stanford. You get that. But he's got instincts, too, and he's got a chance, and he's going to have to step it up. There's no doubt. Um, he did have a decent rookie year. He had two INTs, including a game-ending interception of Fitz. Uh, that gave the Bills a 22-17 victory and knocked the Jets out of playoff contention. But on April 6th of 2016, he announced he was retiring after one season, citing his health, having suffered his third and fourth career concussions during the season. He did unretire last year and played in the Alliance of American Football and the XFL. Uh, no, the answer is no. I All don't right. have a recollection who that is. Stanford yeah. linebacker. Stanford linebacker, and he was undrafted, Scott, if that helps. Yeah, um... He also Frank did a bit where we talked about people like uh, 
Biller and Manuel and Graham and people who might have. Oh, like so he's like a he's a J. A J. Yeah. Z A J. Yeah. Lee. A J. Tarpley. Tarpley. Right. Yes. All right, okay. we got there. We got there. Yep. All right, 2004. So yeah, there was an 11 year gap in headlines here because 2014 through 2005 was just all the wide receivers we talk about. People were in love with like Derek Rogers, Andre Davis, and Brandon Riley, who all were going to get cut never did. It's that time of year. Who's who's this? It's Gabe Davis this year. This year's training camp wide receiver crush. It is, yep. And Sal Capaccio just did like a whole thread of tweets on why, like, I know we always talk about wide receivers, but this is why Gabe Davis is different, but we'll see. (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, 2004, uh, Jacksonville's Bo Blank will miss facing his cousin says Bo Blank won't make the trip to Buffalo, but he'll probably talk to uh, Blank at least once this week. The two chat regularly. Another cousin, Matt Blank, plays for the Bengals. So we have three cousins in the NFL, one of whom Bo. is a Bill, one of whom is a Jaguar, Bo and one of whom is... And... I didn't know Bo. I knew Matt. I knew this Bills player had a cousin named Matt who played for the Bengals. Uh, I'll give you some defensive player, longtime Bill. 2004, too. I'm really trying to get myself back there, right? Uh, uh, that's that's like, uh, so he's, uh, I mean, can you give us a position at least? Yeah, defensive end. Aaron Schobel? Aaron Schobel. Aaron Schobel, oh, oh, both. Yes, right. Well, I didn't know fit. that. I just, yeah. He was going to be my guess anyway. Once you said defensive player, I was just like, I'm hoping this is a person we've heard of. <laughs> yep, long time Bill, defensive end, 2004. So you, you, your, your process of elimination worked well. All right, 2002, blank working in the trenches. He is a six foot three, 310 pound Cinderella. A Cinderella story that is. Six-year pro Blank has elevated himself from an undrafted rookie free agent in 1997 to a key member of the 2002 Bills team defense, working his way <laughs> through the trenches known as the defensive line. He is making his presence known. I'm sorry. I laugh when I think about the 2002 Bills anything. Yeah, um, that, was, that, was, that was the 8-8 Bledsoe year, if memory serves. Their only 4,000-yard passing season for the Bills, at least. They had that going for him in 2 O two, so you've been in six years. No two. Yep, you've been six years. No two was behind some more well-known uh, defensive linemen. Ended up leaving the Bills, I think, shortly thereafter, and then went on to make multiple Pro Bowls with another team. So that's probably Pat Williams, right? Pat Williams, good job, hey. Scott. There you go. All right, moving along. Uh, two thousand one, blank out with broken tibia. It says ESPN is reporting that offensive guard blank is out until November with a broken tibia, which is a shin bone. Corey Halsey replaced blank after he left the game. Uh, let's see. I will note uh, some hints. He was restricted by the salary cap. The bills were, hey, okay, that's not a hint. No one cares about that. Um, okay. So after recovering from this broken leg, he injured a knee late in the season against the Falcons he would win the team's Ed Block Courage Award before retiring the next preseason in August of 2002. He was a Bills round 10. Yes, that was a thing. Round 10 pick out of Tulsa, also a thing, in 1992. 
-hmm. spent his entire career with the Bills. He played in 106 games, starting 102, alternating between center, guard, and tackle. Hmm. So a versatile offensive lineman who started a lot of games over 10 years. Which What was the article year? This was 2001 that he broke his right. leg. He played one more year. Actually, he didn't play. He played a little bit more. He came back later that season, injured his leg, uh, and then he retired the next preseason. John Fina? Nope, good guess. But I think he was mainly a tackle. But same Ruben era in his last Bra- season. With no, Phil's Ruben was Brown was the, uh, yeah. Right. This is definitely a guy you've heard of, so I'll give a yeah. second to... Um, House. House went to Seattle. Uh Jerry Ostrowski. Yes. Jerry Ostrowski. Yeah. Oh, you guys today. This is this is something. All right. I'm more confident in Frank on this one. Like if Scott knows this, I would be uh, I'd be extraordinarily impressed. Uh, this is not a player. We're talking some locations. Okay. 1999. Blank or blank. Bill's pondering next summer's campsite. So, so it would be St. John Fisher. Right, which or is where Rochester, New York. Rochester, New York. That um, is one it's, of it's, it's east of Rochester, but yes, it's Rochester, New York. Yes, um, it's or in, for it's, would it still be Fredonia, where they decided yes, whether they were going to leave Fredonia? Okay. Or Rochester, Andre right. next year's campsite, and the spoiler alert is they would move their training right. camp in 2000 to St. John Fisher College, just outside Rochester, New York. Smart move for them. It really shored up Rochester as a Bills town, as opposed to like a mixed town. There was a lot of, I mean, there are still lots of Giants fans and stuff because the more central New York State you go to, the fewer Bills fans you get. But having that presence there um, certainly helped them really kind of secure Western New York writ large um, as as a fan base. Yep, made it a more of a regional team, which, in a, considering the Buffalo area has just a sh- like 1.2 million people, you need to expand their market, you and do. they did. That strategy was definitely effective. All right, 1997. <laughs> After cuts, tight end lineup appears set. It says the Buffalo Bills only needed only one round of roster cuts to establish the makeup of one of the more critical positions in their offense, tight end. After waving three tight ends, Jason Bratton, Mike Titley, and Pat Fitzgerald, the Bills were left with four players who will likely occupy the spot in the regular season, considering they will use mostly two tight end sets this year. All right, four tight ends. Name any two. Pete Metzelars? No, a little after he's, Metzelars. He's gone. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. What's that, Scott? What year? 1997. Here they would go 6 and 10. So Jay Reemersma? Reemersma is Re- one. Okay, I was worried that that was before Reemersma. Okay. Yeah, this was early in his so career. Jay there, Reemersma and... Two of the other uh, guys are tough. One of them I think is is tougher but gettable. He was a, a very high draft pick. I want to say second round and a lot was expected of him and he never did much and ended up with the the Chiefs, I believe, to end his career. But he was, uh, let's see, I'm trying to look him up. His middle name Tony is Demetrius. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he actually was Gonzalez's backup in 99. Uh, yeah, he played football. No, I don't know. State, Dan Moore or something? Oh, you're thinking of Dave Moore, but nope, not Dave, Dave Moore. Um. Yeah, I'll probably give this one away because I don't think you're going to get there. It is Lonnie Johnson was the one. Lonnie Johnson. Yeah, I remember his name. There was uh, Tony Klein, uh, the son of uh, 
great Anthony Klein, who played in the uh, 1970s. Um, and then someone I'd forgotten about, but I remember the name, uh, Rob Coons, uh, who played a little bit that year for the Bills as well. So you got, you got half, half a point on that for getting Reamers, Ma. All right. 1994, tougher, but, but, but plausible. Blank makes the grade at corner. Former first-round pick plays with a degree of confidence. It says, Blank's credentials certainly inspire confidence. He was his first-round pick last year, which would have been 1993, from North Carolina, and he ranks second among the top athletes on the team. They go through his 40-hour dash time, his vertical jump. He would play for the Bills from 93 to 99, then the Bears in 2000, then the Colts in 2001. He had six career interceptions, so he had seven seasons with the Bills. He was a first-round pick, and he was about to enter his second year. He was, I would say, an above-average corner, if not exceptional, though if you go to his Wikipedia page, you can tell it was written by him because he talks about how they didn't have advanced metrics then, how he was actually a great lockdown corner because no one threw at him. Hmm. Eric Flowers? Nope, he was on the defensive line, I believe. Defensive wow. line. Okay, sorry. I this thought you were okay. corner, cornerback here, so let's see. Why am I saying Flowers? No, so Henry Jones was a strong safety. Right, secondary, same same time. Yeah. He was all that was my fr- yeah. Um, yes, yes, his Wikipedia page says, Blank became known as one of the top coverage cornerbacks in the NFL, but did not receive the Pro Bowl and or All-Pro recognition his play deserved because of a lack of interception at the time, advanced coverage stats, which would have benefited superb lockdown players like Blank, did not exist. His lack of <laughs> interceptions was wrongly cited when he was seen as good rather than great player. And there's no citation on that. No citation. <laughs> citation. An informed NFL source who played on <laughs> during this period. I don't know if we're going to get there, so I'll give you guys this one. It's mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Smith, if you remember that name. Thomas Smith. Well, I mean, if he had had more interceptions, I'd probably remember who he was. But what can I think? Zing. No. Yeah. All, right. All right. Last one. I'm going to change up this question. Um, this was 1986. Uh, it was the, the highlight. The headline on New York Times was Bill signed Kelly to record packed. Uh, it says the Buffalo Bills who finished with the NFL's worst record last season yesterday made it worthwhile to Jim Kelly uh, for Jim Kelly to become the quarterback team uh, that he had previously poor mouthed. Uh, it says the former general and most claimed quarterback in the moribund USFL became the richest player in NFL history. And I was going to ask you to guess the deal for richest player in NFL history. So you can guess either that or you can guess um, the, you know, who he surpassed as the highest paid perfor- uh, quarterback in the NFL, who is also the highest uh, paid player overall. Or you can guess on who the backup then became when Kelly signed. Uh, and also who was cut. The guy who was cut has had uh, various movies made about him because he is a compulsive gambler and has committed all sorts of felonies and he's just got a crazy history. So you can guess the terms of the salary, who he surpassed. The answer is the answer is Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly. Well, yes, we know that part. <laughs> well, no, I don't know if you know this, but he played in the USFL and then became the richest player in the NFL. Right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was, that was assumed in the... I meant to say Jim Kelly if I did not early on. No, I'm just teasing you, Paul. You didn't say I'm... <laughs> All right. I, I'm, I, was, I was playing dumb. I'm, I got it. I'm easily confused. Um, so, okay. Terms of deal, who he surpassed okay. or either of the quarterbacks on the roster when he was signed. Okay, well, so... It was like five man. years, 10 million or something, right? It was five years was the deal, and I, let's ten, see. 10 million. 
Ten million too high. Eight million. Eight. Also too high. Five million five. Uh, low. Six. Keep on, keep on the divisibles of of five hundred thousand. You'll get there. Seven. Six. Seven and a half. Seven and a half million, five years. So play, it's like clock game eight. on the Price is Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, and he surpassed what quarterback is the highest uh, paid performer? This is 86, right? So, yeah, yeah Joe Montana might have been Joe getting Joe Montana. Yeah. Good job, yeah, Frank. I was going to say he was probably due. Oh, What's that? I was going to say, like, that's so little. That's so little. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, the quarterbacks, I'll give you the quarterbacks because there's no way. Bruce Matheson. I was going to say. Oh, you were, about to say, you were about to say Bruce. That's right. I was so. going to say Bruce Matthews. I was going to get his last name wrong. But it, <laughs> you would have probably been like, oh, so close. You're, you're probably thinking of the right guy. Um, yeah. And I definitely would have given it to you. The other guy we will do a whole podcast on sometime is Arch Schlichter, who's uh, just had a bizarre, crazy life. And I think I'm not even sure if he's in prison. Oh, yeah, he is currently serving 10 years in federal prison. For stealing millions of dollars in order to fuel his gambling habits. So, oh, okay. Read about Arch Lichter someday in his crazy history. Uh, it's it's interesting. Um, and that was it for this day in Bill's headlines. I do want to give a shout out that on 1986, uh, on this day, if it were August 19th still, uh, Ben Williams retired. He was named to the Pro Bowl for the Bills in '82. He was the first African American player at Old Miss, uh, and he retired as the then all-time sack leader for the Bills at 45 and a half sacks. Uh, ben passed away in May at the age of 65, and uh, you know, we give him a shout out on August 19th, 1986, the day of his retirement. So that's the stay in Bill's headlines. Wow! If you were excited and having fun during that segment, we do it every time we record, uh, and you can make sure to get all of those episodes by going to Buffalo Bills maybe next year in your Google machine. Our anchor will show up, our iTunes page, our whatever you want to do. You can certainly go to facebook.com slash bbillsmny or go to mnybills on Twitter. We are going to – guys, forget about 14 days to the start of the season. We're, we're, we're almost in weekly territory here. We're going to have to start yeah. figuring out what our new schedule is going to be because uh, Scott, of course, in the U.K., Paul uh, is Paul, and nothing really changes there. But oh, yeah. uh, we're going to have to – <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna have to figure out kind of what the what the deal is gonna be. So, uh, but we'll be doing bills things. We'll be talking about the bills uh, in some fashion or form. Feel free to tell your friends and let us know what you think. Uh, hope you're having a nice time. Please stay safe, everyone. Uh, until the next time, my name is Frank. I'm Scott. I'm Paul. Good night, everyone. <laughs>